Hi, this is Welcome to Self, and I'm your host, Dr. Haley D. Quinn, fellow human, business owner, clinical psychologist, and coach. Welcome to Self is a place where you can come and learn about the practices that assist us as humans. Realize that you're not alone in the ways you struggle, and have your curiosity piqued on various topics as I chat to wonderful guests or bring you solo episodes. This is a place to remember that you are human first and have different roles in your life that need your attention. And for that, you need to take care of yourself in the best way you can. My aim is that this is a place of nourishment, growth and nurture. A place where you can welcome yourself. Welcome to another episode. I've been excited to bring you some more great guests this season, and my next guest is no exception. She is a warm, kind, compassionate, and very wise woman, who I am honoured to call not just my colleague, but my friend. I first met my next guest at an ANZACBS conference in Canberra and attended a workshop for women that she was co-hosting. I was extremely resistant to attending this particular workshop due to some of my own history, but I knew that's what I needed to do. And believe me, I'm so thrilled that I did. I learned about myself, my connection with other women, and I'm happy to say the seeds of a beautiful friendship were planted. I'm thrilled to introduce to you Tiffany Rochester. Tiff is fierce about nurturing families and supporting parents so that children can grow up slowly in the warm safety of both parents. She has a long history of supporting families through complex situations, including working with families of juvenile offenders, families raising neurodivergent sexual and gender minorities, and families post-separation fostering one family across two homes. She is the founding CEO of Co-Parenting Companion, a business which provides coaching support to separated co-parents, with a focus on helping parents establish healthy boundaries and clear communication to find collaborative solutions. Tiff is an experienced clinical psychologist and the past president of ANZ ACBS. And for any of you who have heard Tiff speak before, you already know how passionate and inspiring she is. It is my great pleasure to have her join me on the podcast. I hope you love this episode as much as I loved chatting with Tiff. So hi, Tiff. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm really excited about having you on the podcast. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Thank you, Hayley. I'm really excited to be here too. I've been really looking forward to it. That's fantastic. So perhaps could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what it was that actually attracted you into the helping professions? Yeah, so who I am today is um, I'm a, a clinical psychologist and I also uh, work in the coaching sphere. Um, I'm a mom uh, to two gorgeous kids, um, and I am a great lover of karaoke. Um, in terms of 
how I got to here into the helping profession, that story goes back to when I was 13 years old. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I knew then that I wanted to be a psychologist. So one of those weird freaks about being clear early and whilst the topography of um, how I do my career has changed over the years, one of the things I find interesting in reflecting on that is that my core mission has mm-hmm. never changed. I, I, you know, had this sense then that um, the, the teen years are, are rough and indeed, you know, mine were as, as many people's are. And, um, and I wanted to go back and serve teens and mm. about the only part of that that's that shifted is is a build out into teens and children um, yeah so yeah yeah fantastic and you've recently made some changes in your business and released a new service called co-parenting companion can you tell us a bit more about this what was it that led you to this and where do you see yourself heading with this new direction yes i'm so excited to talk about this <laughs> <laughs> So um, there, there's kind of a, a long story and, and a short story to Co-Parenting Companion, and I'm not good at telling the short story, so I, I will try the slightly longer version. Um, so I, I've always, as I mentioned, had this calling, this drive to serve teens and children. And uh, in the start of my career, I, I was working with the families of repeat juvenile offenders, and that was a fantastic grounding space for me the, the the best developmental space I think for an early clinician because it tuned me in straight away to how important it is to work with a family and yeah. to work with context that if I'm serious about shaping the lives of teenagers and children mm-hmm. I have to be working with the caregivers because yeah. they are our greatest agents of change in that context and that that shift to seeing context, I mean, I kind of think it's a bit like when you, you know, I was going to say when you learn to see those 3D images, but I actually don't have any depth perception. And so I actually can never see those 3D <laughs> images. Um, but, but, but once you see, see context, you can't go back to seeing the individual. And yeah. that's, uh, really shaped everything from there. Um, and then as I've gone through various, um, ways of serving families, uh, Around 10 years ago, I started working with separated families and the way that those kind of fell into my practice um, was through court referrals. And these were uh, people who had been locked in the family court system, sometimes for, you know, seven to 10 years at the outside. And the... The state of those family systems was was just uh, heartbreaking because they spent hundreds and thousands of dollars in litigation. That alone is is just awful. Uh, outside of that was the enormous amounts of stress and tension and conflict that had marked all of those years. Mm. And so I would get these referrals for these families and, and it felt like we were the, you know, the last ditch effort once, once the courts had kind of thrown their hands in the air and, and said, we have no idea what to do with these families. Uh, then it occurred to them that maybe they'd call in a therapist. 
and it's you know it's kind of like it's too late <laughs> like 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 court court should not be the the first option for no. these families um thankfully there there are many people agitating for for change and so in the time that I was working in that space, I noticed that the referrals would, would start to come in earlier in the piece and that um, be, be, as part of the dispute resolution process, families would still be referred in for, for therapy um, a, as an earlier point. But even so, it still felt too too late in the piece. These people had had to go through too much and the volume of work therefore for them and for the therapist is enormous the truth of it is that I in working in that space with the number of families that I was carrying I hit burnout and and I had to figure out what to do with that because I had this such a desire to really resource and support these families yeah but I had to do it in a way that was also serving for me. And I wanted to get in earlier. Sorry, I did tell you it was a long backstory. That's totally, <laughs> totally go. fine. I think, you know, <laughs> it's fascinating. And I think, you know, it's really challenging work as well, isn't it? I'm glad you bring up this point about burnout and having to do this in a way that suits you because, you know, therapy work is challenging work anyway. And then the work you were doing when people are embroiled in this legal system and conflict is really tricky. And of course, that's going to take its toll on you. So please feel free to expand your story. It's, it's great. <laughs> Thanks so much, Hayley. So yes, within that, um, I had to really look at knowing that I love working with systems. Yeah. And um, I, I, I find there's something really quite um, humbling and sacred about being permitted into that space with families. I just wanted to get in there earlier mm. and uh, and and work more at that prevention, right, at the, the starting points of separation because I know that if we start there, there is, with so many of the parents that I was working with in those later stages, they had the the most beautiful intentions for their children they wanted to have a collaborative relationship with their co-parent or at least they had in a previous version of themselves and they definitely wanted to do what was best for their children yeah. and so when we get in earlier in the piece before that that huge history of of um trauma and conflict and financial um ruin <laughs> has, has, has come into the mix then there's so much more space to look at how do we set up separation for success so yeah. that people can move apart into the lives that they need to be building for themselves in a way that is really healthy for themselves and healthy for their children? And so mm-hmm. Co-Parenting Companion then uh, sits in that coaching space, not a therapy because yeah. we're not uh, working in that mental health space, but rather looking at really practical, pragmatic strategies to get that system working so that we can have one family across two homes and the children can thrive and the parents can spend all of their lovely money on their children and themselves yeah. and their holidays and and enjoy enjoy the new pathways forward 
Oh my gosh, Tiff, it's just such fantastic work and, and so needed. I think it's just beautiful what you're doing. Now, given the statistics on relationship separation and divorce, and given that helping professionals are humans who are not immune to life challenges, I imagine there are likely many listeners who are navigating co-parenting themselves whilst also managing the challenging client work that they do. This can be really tough work on a good day, like I said before, like what we do is hard work. And even more so when we're facing personal challenges. What do you tend to see as the most common themes or challenges that people face? And how might that be amplified for our helping professionals? So I think one of the, one of, oh, one, many, gosh, there are so many challenges in this space. I think a lot of it is, is the level of distress at the same time as trying to hold everything together. So there's, you know, that, that sense of in the in the immediate term, this life that we thought we were living is falling apart or mm. it has to change in a very, very major way. And so not only not only is the person trying to kind of manage their way through that transition, but trying to make sense of what are the finances going to look like? Uh how how do I make space in my heart uh for my child to have some nights at a home that is not mine and stepping through what what is what is right in that? Well, how how do we get that balance so that the child's needs are met? And what is that supposed to look like? And how often do we do handovers? And who's going to live where? And what's this going to mean for the children's schooling? But, oh, my gosh, I have to keep working because now the financial situation has changed yeah. and everything's on the line. Um I see so much for these families in those early stages that are really wrestling with wanting to do the right thing, but either not knowing what it is or or having some quite understandably distorted views about what that is. Because unfortunately, as as you would know, when we when we look at what exists in in our television shows and and in our movies, um, in our books, in, in the places where we get our narratives about how to do life, yeah. there are not good models of how to separate and co-parent well. Like I get so excited when I when I see tiny examples of them on shows and I share them <laughs> with my members to go like 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 this. Yeah. <laughs> this is a good example because they're, they're few and far between. So. So then if we bring that back to our helping professionals, mm. I think it I think it adds in such a so many layers of complexity there. I think um years ago when I worked in the the perinatal space, one of the things that uh really sat with me was how much um pediatric nurses and school teachers were at higher risk of um, perinatal anxiety and depression and, and some of the thinking around that was because in their professional lives that was their jam and so yeah. they felt out of place and and then the same obviously applies to to us as therapists is is making sense of who am I in the context of a relationship that's separating what what does this say about me in my personal life and in my professional life, I, I think we're not always, we're often 
not good at extending to ourselves the same grace and compassion to be yeah. human and to not have all the answers as we do to other people. And we know statistically, and, and if I could keep numbers in my head, I would tell you, but um, <laughs> maybe you know them. Statistically, helping professionals are less likely to get help yeah. when we need it. There's a, there can often be a, a shame factor there and um, this idea that somehow we should know what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Along, along with how do you find somebody that, that, that you trust that isn't already a, a friend or someone you're going to sit next to at every PD event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so many complexities, isn't it? And that sense, I think you raised really good points around, I'm a, I'm a therapist, I should know how to manage this. Um, and people, it is a barrier to them reaching out and finding help. You know, th these things become opportunities for the self-critic to jump in. Absolutely. Yeah. So much so. I, I, yeah, that, that shame space and that yeah. judgment space. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But keep keep going with what you're saying. I kind of jumped in on you there a bit. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was just thinking about that. Um, that tension of, um, yeah, I, I think we we all experienced that at the start of the pandemic when all of a sudden every client that came in to see us was dealing with the same crisis that yeah. we were having ourselves, and and I remember that kind of that sense of like 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 what is, even is this that I have to get myself ready I you know I have to figure out what I'm doing around my decision making every day and then and then show up for for my clients to hold yeah. space for them to process that and so I, I think within that that pressure of you know can I take time off work can I honor the process that I need at the same time as I'm feeling pressure to earn money um which is a very legitimate need right yeah, absolutely and 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 then yeah, to be able to look at how do I, how do I hold the space for the people that I serve, whilst my own life is going through so much turmoil and yeah. disruption. It's so tricky, yeah. isn't it? And you imagine that you're going through a separation, you're trying to navigate this, and then the next client that walks in the door sits down and tells you that their relationship has just broken up, and they don't know how they're going to manage the children. Now you can't help, but relate to that. I mean, that's exactly what you're going through in your own life. And I think this is where if you can't take time out when these things, whether it is that or a different type of challenge, if you can't take the time out and have some time away from work, making sure that you've got some support can then help you navigate that in between times, you know, can help you feel more resourced as you have to sit with your clients. Yeah. Because like you say, for some people, taking time off work is not an option. It's like, well, I have to keep working. Or it might even be, I actually have to work more now. Mm. So I yeah. think that sort of resourcing is so, so important. And like you say, complex, because it can be tricky. Because oftentimes the people that you respect as other helping professionals are people who you know and you can't go to see them. <laughs> so it can be, it can be <laughs> difficult. It can be difficult, but not impossible, not impossible. No, that's right. And I look, and I just want to throw in there as well, because because of that huge financial stress that sits there so hard and fast and early is, is one of the things that I'd really want to encourage people in that very early stage is 
get some really good financial advice. Meet with your accountant as soon as possible and meet with a financial advisor. And, and if you don't have those people in your life, uh, the Collaborative Professionals Network, uh, which they, they have their website, I think it's collaborativeprofessionals.com.au, you can look for people who are financial neutrals. So they are trained in collaborative practice, trained in helping people separate well and fairly in a collaborative manner outside of court. And they can very quickly give that information about uh, what what financial arrangement can you reasonably predict is going to happen as you move through the settlement? What are some good transition arrangements on your way there? And from that financial planning perspective, uh, looking at how you can move your money to support yourself because maybe some of that sense of I can't afford this and I have to work more, maybe some of that's a story and maybe yeah. the people that have the expertise in that area can throw you some lifelines you don't know are there. Yeah. Oh, Tiff, thank you. That's fantastic. And I, and I wonder when we put stuff of your links in the show notes, if we might add that as well, because what a fantastic resource that that might be for people listening. Um, oh, yes. Because those are the things I think people don't necessarily think about. You think about it, we're in our threat system when we're under challenges like this. Um, and when we know when we're in our threat system, we don't think clearly. Um, so, you know, being made aware of things like this is is fantastic. So thanks for sharing that. So I, I'm also wondering, like, how can working with someone like yourself assist people when they're managing a situation such as co-parenting? And this is a bit of a different, um, sorry, a bit of a two-part question. And also, can you offer our listeners any kind of tips in terms of how they could help themselves here? As well as that wonderful financial one, collaborative <laughs> professionals. Dot com, I think you said. Yes. Isn't, it, isn't it a great name, Collaborative Professionals? Like it just sums up <laughs> the, the, whole, the whole way that, that I would want people to be able to step through um, a separation, um, which now means I've lost track of the question. It was a, around how. how so how can, how, working, how can working with someone like you assist people when they're managing a situation like this? And are there any little tips you could just share today? Yes. So I, th I think one of the, the biggest helps is having a neutral in the space. Uh, and that can be a neutral whether in, in my role, I can either work just with um, one co-parent who is um, desiring to be collaborative, or there is the option for me to work with uh, both co-parents together. It, it is a requirement that both of them do want to work collaboratively and are interested in uh, reflecting on their own behaviours and how they can change what they are doing to make that system work well. So then in terms of what that neutral role provides is when, when families separate, there, there's no part of their system that is untouched by that and and that would probably be one of the, the things that I would hear the most is this permeates every part of their lives and so then the friends that they go to yeah. for advice and support the family members they they all have opinions and and those opinions aren't always the ones that are going to be most useful 
for the for the new family system. Uh, uh, you know, we, we often watch families and and friends, you know, kind of kind of protectively close in around that you know they feel that they feel that sense of you know pick a side mm. <laughs> um and and they can close ranks that's what the phrase I was looking for and yeah. so you know I, I hear those conversations often I, I either when I'm out um socially or, or I hear them from the people that I serve around some really bad advice that gets gets shared so one of the things that can be so useful is to to be able to bounce those ideas, uh, to be able to say, look, you know, um, professor be able to turn up and say, I'm really concerned about how my kid is, is going. I don't know, uh, um, they're really closely connected to me. They've never had nights away from me. I'm their primary carer. So I think they should have these many nights with me and maybe only those many nights with my co-parent. And straight away, we're able to bounce with what does the data tell us? is developmentally appropriate and useful um what do we know about uh how to facilitate a beautiful relationship with both parents um so shortcutting a whole heap of that massive amount of you know kind of lit reviews around around literature i i I would i would hope for so many of these families that this is the the only time that they have to do this um, and we know for some families, they, they might have to do it a couple of times. Yeah. But in my role, I sit with a data set of hundreds of families and not just the hundreds of families I've served, but also, you know, that that's part of my job is to stay on top of the literature, to stay yeah. on top of uh, what is developmentally appropriate and sound so that we can step through what are the decisions that are going to safeguard the development of the children? We know that around 80% of kids are going to be just fine. They're going to be completely yeah. indistinguishable from kids that grow up in intact families. We can help families get there faster yeah. by looking at the data that, as it applies to their family. Yeah, so taking that kind of emotion and, and a particular agenda out that that family members or friends may have um and coming to them with the facts and being supportive in that way when you were talking before um a couple of things i think raises the the stuff as well around when you were saying about you know friends kind of have this thing about picking a side and i think it's acknowledging isn't it that there's more than just the loss of a relationship or a marriage um yes there it does trickle out into so many areas so there's so much to be dealing with you also mentioned at the beginning that you'll you can work with somebody individually that would like to collaborate collaboratively (laughs) co-parent or you can work with two people who are willing to do that so i suppose that raises um that not everybody has a co-parent that is willing to collaborate or is safe to do that with. Um, so can you speak a little bit to the work you, you would also work with an individual? How, in what way would you do that if the other person isn't going to be collaborative? Yeah. So thankfully there is, there is so much that can still be done in that setting. Um, one of the things that I think is crucial is that often when we're looking at uh, somebody who desires to be collaborative, who's co-parenting against someone who, um, who's contact text has has led them to be more of a, a high conflict or a difficult to collaborate with person um 
is knowing that if a child has an authoritative uh, experience of an authoritative relationship with one parent, if, if they have a safe connection where they can uh, freely express themselves and, and feel loved and have boundaries held in a, in a firm and caring way, if one parent is able to provide that space, the data tells us that child is going to be okay. Like that is that is enough to protect the child. So, so even just from a starting point with a parent who desires to be collaborative, to take the pressure off that if the other parent is messing up a huge amount in what they're doing and that's it's outside of the collaborative parent's yeah. power to change, that if they just focus on what they are doing in their time with the children, that's going to be enough. And then there's more. So there's there's a lot that we can do around uh, look working in two spaces. I'm going to go with two for now, but my brain often comes up with many more along the way. Um, <laughs> one, of those, <laughs> one of those is 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 really working hard on looking at how do you co-parent well with a with a parent you've got rather than the one you wish you had. Yeah, and so that can <laughs> right because there can be so much if it's not fair, and I shouldn't have to, mm. and they should, and. And and all of that is correct often, but none of that changes anything. And so instead, what we want to look at is given that this is who you've got, what do you know about how to bring out the best in them? What do you know about how to shape your requests to make it more likely that you can get them to a yes? And that's not about a a, a fawn response or a, an acquiescing response, you know, looking at how do you have the firm boundaries that you want to hold. Um, but, but within that, looking at how do you stay aligned to your values, who you care to be yeah. in the context that you're dealing with. And so often that opens up a whole heap of possibilities about different ways of communicating back to this difficult person. And that alone can create some shifts and then the other piece in there is around developing those self-care boundaries. How do, how do we structure your day and your week and your year so that there are, there's compartments where you interact with your co-parent, but the rest of your life is not, um, is, is not tarnished tainted with it it doesn't flavor every other part of your life so how do we put in boundaries that you get to have regardless of whether or not your co-parent wants you to have them and how do how do we develop skills for managing your own distress your own fight flight when that's triggered so that you can move your way back to being the person that you want to be with your children, with your colleagues, with your new partner if there is one, with your friendship group so your life is defined by how you want to be living it and not the hell that your co-parent might want to have you in. Yeah. Gosh, it's such it's just such beautiful work and much needed work that you're doing. So thank you. Um where were you when I was uh, needing you? <laughs> but I think that's fantastic the work you're doing. So if you have diversity within your practice, are you still seeing clinical clients as well? You're still doing some therapy work and coaching? Yeah, I, do. Yeah. I carry a small clinical caseload. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
So you've got the diversity, which I know for many people can be really helpful. I certainly find it helpful for myself. But what have you found most challenging about diversifying and changing the focus of your work? Because I think a lot of people who are in the helping professions get a bit scared of making change um, and or, or kind of question these things. So what have you actually found the most challenging about it? Yes, I think I think part of it is around um, you know uh, professional identity mm-hmm. and um, and who you see yourself as and so for me part of it was looking at um, the way that I really wanted to serve co-parents didn't fit beautifully within our psychology model. Yeah. And excuse me, as I shared with you, I, I'd wanted to do that, that since 13. So the identity of being a psychologist is one that is woven deep in my history. Yeah. So part of the challenge was looking at what does it mean if I'm doing coaching? What what is what is it to be a coach and kind of shifting that perspective? And I think for me, like I, I do love I, I do love diversity. I do love, you know, working with a whole range of different people and, and way of beings. And yet for me, one of my challenges and an important process to go through was actually looking at how to how to be clearer about who it is that I really care to serve. And as I asked myself that question more, there were there were two kind of two areas that really stood out for me and, and one is obviously this co-parenting space yeah. um, and the other is I, I have a, a, a deep love and joy in serving uh, neurodivergent um, children, teens and adults and I found that I I just, I, I didn't want to give that up yeah. um, and then if I look at those, for me I look at um, thankfully they're there are more and more and more neurodivergent affirming um, therapists um, coming out and stepping up and um, advocating in this space and working well in this space. So when I looked at my balance of skills and energy, um, I knew that I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave that work. I really quite love it, but I could make a choice for that to be a smaller part of what I do because the, the unserviced population is our separated co-parents. That, that's yeah. not where we get a lot of early intervention support. Yeah, fantastic. So given um, all the different roles that you have, both in your work and your personal life, um, you are as human as the next person. How do you take care of yourself? You know, you mentioned self-care when you're working with a, co- you know, separated parent, but how do you take care of yourself? Yes. Um, you know, with varying degrees of success, if you spoke to my partner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we could all say that, couldn't we? <laughs> um, and, and yeah, look, I, there, there are practices in, in current TIFF's life that were definitely not there in past TIFF's life. And and I'm so I'm so grateful to the to the previous versions of me that have built those in. So, um, one of the things that my body taught me, I, I 
I, I live with a chronic pain condition and um, whilst there's parts of that that completely suck and I, I would never recommend it for anybody, no. I feel like my body's saying, you know, Tiff, self-care is not negotiable. You know, prioritising prioritizing you first is not negotiable. So yeah. uh, for me, my day has to start with yoga and um, I, I am aware that not being a morning person, if I haven't if I have an early morning, um, uh, somebody scheduled in because of somebody else's time zone, that um, that yoga is probably the first thing that slips. But um, but that early morning yoga to to start that, you know, putting that first before I wake the children, before I get on with the school lunches, is this essential part. Um, I mentioned at the start that I have a great love of karaoke, and mm. um, I think everyone who knows me knows this because it kind of leaks out of every. <laughs> every part of me and so within that I know that I love to sing so if I'm having a hard day sometimes it is just I just need to put on some music and sing Mm. my heart out and I love karaoke nights and a karaoke night might be just um just our little family which is great because it means that the mic comes to me one in four Um, (laughs) (laughs) or or having friends around and um uh there's something so energizing and uh I don't know I, I I love I love singing with others I love watching um, you know, my friends and my loved ones find find their voice in music and find mm. their confidence to um I don't know. I mean singing is so woven into the fabric of of who we are and how we communicate as as humans. Um Oh gosh, Tiff, uh, <sighs> you talking about this is taking me back to when we met in Canberra <laughs> and your passion for singing. Now I love to sing. I cannot sing well. I used to say I can't sing, but everyone can sing. I just can't sing well. Um, But your passion was so infectious that you had me up on stage in Canberra singing in public. (laughs) Yes. What? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And that song, I mean, that, that was... That was incredible, and that song. Every time I hear it, it it makes me cry. Um, thinking about all of us up there, and um, wow. and allowing our voices to be heard. Hmm. Yeah, I can see the emotion coming for you now <laughs> as yeah. you're talking. Yeah. yeah. No, that was very beautiful. It was. Uh, it was. It was fun. That was a fun conference. That was. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So. Those are ways you take care of yourself. I wonder if, like, if you had a separated co-parent that happened to be a psychologist that came to you, what might you say to them in terms of what would be helpful for them when they're sitting in their therapy chair? They've got all this going on and they're, they're having to work with clients. Is there anything you'd kind of say to them that could be helpful for them to hold in mind or to practice or <laughs> I'm I'm laughing because I'm thinking about oh, that part we talked about earlier where where we can be so um reticent to seek help for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and I think really what I would want to say is 
in addition to the, you know the the very practical coaching skills of how to get yourself through the co-parenting experience is if you haven't gifted yourself a therapist yet my goodness me now is the time because chances are you know a huge amount about how to ground your client mm. and you know a huge amount about how to help your client find self-compassion you're probably great at leading a mindfulness script um but there is something so nourishing in being led and having somebody else step you through Mm. and we might have so much of the head knowledge and we do but but spending time with somebody else to help you connect it through to your heart knowledge, to not ask so much of yourself, I think that, I, I mean, in the very practical, if you're sitting there with a the client, I think, I think you know, looking at what have been the practices that have served you well in the past for grounding yourself, connecting yourself, bringing yourself present in the room, but to recognise that the first two years after separation, uh, and it is, it's two years is how long we expect things to go kind of offline and a bit haywire for. That's how big a shift it is. So yeah. so gift yourself some support that is just for you early, early, yeah. because you, you're really, really worth it. And if you don't think you're worth it, your clients are, and your clients will do better if you serve yourself first. Yeah, absolutely. I truly believe that. Do you know, I think it's really, really good that you say that, that there's this expectation of two years for things to transition. Because I think in many domains, people are very quick to be like, you know, it's been a few months, I should be over this by now. Or I, it's been a few months, I should know how to do all this by now. And I think when we can take this kind of bigger perspective of actually this is going to be a couple of years of your life transitioning into a new identity. Yes. A new way of being, a new way of, you know, working within your family and with your ex-partner. Um, so thanks for sharing that. I think those are the things sometimes that people will hear and go, oh, it's only been six months for me. Of course, I'm still feeling, you know, this is where I should be right now in this turmoil. <laughs> Yes, it, ter- it turns out I'm I'm at exactly at the developmental stage I'm supposed to be in. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's really valuable because we don't talk yeah. about those things, do we? In in lots of different areas, we don't talk about it. It's almost like okay, well, everyone else knows that that happened for you. They're all moving on with their life. How come you're still dealing with this? It's like because that is what you're dealing with. That is the life that you have. That's right, and I think also the. The pressure is often, you know, at, at looking at how the children are going because there's so much anxiety mm. for parents around whether the kids are going okay. And so so often, you know, there's kind of even in separation, there's a, there's a honeymoon period where the children are, you know, they're, they're, they're doing okay with the arrangement of whatever it is of, of, of moving between two homes. And so so parents can go into this kind of false sense of like, well, we've nailed it. Look, 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 we've yeah. done it. And then... And then that honeymoon period is done where the kid's like, oh, oh, but this is our actual life now. And and we'll yeah. see, you know, we'll see a spike in in their distress and their behaviours. And so to know that, well, that that's just normal. Like, you know, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you suddenly have to change 
the way that you're doing shared care. Um, your transition days are hell. Transition days are hell. It it doesn't it doesn't mean that you are um doing yeah the, the wrong shared care or that that your children aren't okay with the arrangement that you've got. It just probably yeah. means that your early days and you're still learning as a system all of the skills, the new skills that you yeah. need for that system to thrive. Yeah, again, such a helpful thing I think for people to hear. It's hell, not because you're doing it wrong but because that's how it is at the start. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I just, you know, I just think about the work you do with these co-parents allows them to parent differently, perhaps more effectively, um, perhaps in a calmer way. Not always, of course. Nobody's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just put that out there. Um, Absolutely. But then perhaps the trajectory for those children in terms of their well-being and mental health is a different one. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You know, that's what I love so much in this space oh. is, you know, we're changing. We're changing the trajectory for these kids. And we're changing the trajectories for these adults. I, yeah. You know, it's often that the problems the conflicts that were involved in the relationship ending, you know, they're often things that, 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 that bond in childhood before the relationship even happened. And, and, you know, it comes back to what was modeled from parents and and parents from grandparents. Like I look at this and this is, this is shifting generational patterns. And, um, you know, I am, I, I'm someone who is fascinated by the kind of the, the epigenetic kind of impacts yeah. of, um, of, of shifting how we communicate and how we relate, um, you know, to the generation above us and the generation below us. And, and I, I just get so excited about, about these parents being able to have a different relationship with their children and then going forward, their adult children compared to what was available for them with their own parents. And then also looking at what might, what might change as they learn, as they learn these new processes in this new family system, what also might change even going back to their parents, if their parents are still here. I'm sorry, I've just gone off on a tangent of stuff that gets me really excited. No, it's absolutely fine. I, I just, you know, your, your passion in all the things you do, and that, that's what I know of you. You're a very passionate woman and I think it's fantastic. And your passion in your work means you are going to impact so many lives and make such a difference in this space. And it's such an important space because, you know, reaching things that help children helps adults, right? Um, yeah. I think the work you're doing is absolutely beautiful. So now I have more of a question for you, and I ask this to everybody, and this is my favourite question I ask on the podcast. If you could meet your 80-year-old self, what do you think she would say to you? Hmm. After you've done karaoke together, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that would be so fun. Actually, you know, here's, an, I, here's an additional question. What is the karaoke <laughs> song that you would sing with your 80-year-old self first? And then what would she say to you? Oh, good Lord, that's not fair, Hayley. <laughs> <laughs> we sing together. Um, oh, 
oh no, I don't know. It would be, it would be a show tune. It would be something from Broadway. Um, but no, I'm, you know, I'm going to reflect on that question. And, um, and when I figure it out, I'll, I'll, I'll pop it up on socials. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I think, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this because I, I know you asked this question and, um, and so I spent some time kind of picturing what she might have to say to me. And it was really interesting because what I heard her say is you've got time and it's okay to slow down. Mm. Um, and yeah. yeah. I love that. I think most people that have heard me speak about anything <laughs> know that I love that sort of thing of slow down, slow down, tune in. Um, yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about you or get in touch, where can they find you and engage with you and your work? You mentioned socials and you have a fantastic Instagram, um, where you put up some really great videos, actually. Um, even though I'm not co-parenting and I have an adult child (laughs) at this point, um, you put up some great videos for people around how to navigate some of the situations or conversations. So I'd strongly suggest people do follow you on Instagram. Um, You're probably on Facebook as well, but I tend to hang out on Instagram a lot more. Uh. Yes, we often have kind of our our favourite go-to, don't we? Um, And and I really appreciate your feedback on those videos because it was uh, certainly one of the blocks that I had to get over is that if I... If I'm serious about working in this space, I have to let people know that I'm there and I want to make it so easy for people to know whether I'm the right fit for them. Um, and uh, and so so I had to get over myself, get out of my own way to to yeah. start putting those videos up there. Um, so th- those are, so on Insta, I'm at Co-Parenting Companion and, uh, and very helpfully on Facebook also at Co-Parenting Companion. <laughs> <laughs> and my website is coparentingcompanion.au. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I think, you know, we we have these things that this is the work I do and this is what I'd like to offer to the world and this is, you know, the area I want to work in. And then we sit in our office and don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Which probably isn't very helpful. So I think that's great that you overcame that. I know for me, kind of doing more videos and stuff was was a a process to get through but um it's all doable right it is and i I think it's making that shift of you know we we feel so awkward about oh but i can't i can't market you know i I can't sell myself but but neither you or i are are, are, you know selling ourselves there's a mission that that we have there's a calling that we want to answer but nobody can be served if we don't tell them that we are here serving. Well, I'm so glad that you are out there and and you have those things that people can access because I just think what you're offering is fantastic. And like I say, you know, as helping professionals, we're not immune to life challenges. I'm sure there's many people um, who tune in that will be navigating this um, or have navigated this or unfortunately may have to navigate this in the future. so thank you for the work you do. Just to end, if you were only able to give one piece of advice, and I know that's a 
kind of hard to distill things down to one thing. What would you most want our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Um, to don't do this alone. Yeah. There is plenty of resourcing out there. Don't do this alone. It takes a village for everything in life. So connect in with yours. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good point. It's like often people are like, what support do my children need? What support do my children need? It's like, well, ask yourself as well. Again, slow down, tune in and ask yourself, what support do I need as well? Yeah. Tiff, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I have no doubt that people will get a lot from this episode. Thank you so much for being here with me. It's really been fun. Oh, Hayley, thank you. It's been such a privilege. I, I, My heart is so full at getting time to just speak to my passion and then to be able to spend time with you particularly to have this conversation. Uh, I've been looking forward to this so much and it's been a complete delight. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. Thank you for sharing this time with me today. I hope your time here was helpful and supportive. If there has been something in this episode that you found helpful, I invite you to share it with another person you think might benefit. I'd also love it if you'd leave a five-star rating and review wherever you tune in. Ratings and reviews really help to increase awareness of podcasts meaning I can spread helpful information more widely. All reviews are welcome and much appreciated as I know they take time out of your day. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode airs, please use the link in the show notes to join my mailing list. Music and editing by Nissa Ray. Thanks, Nissa. I wish you all well in your relationship with yourself and may you go well and go gently.